Hi everyone, I'm Matt. And I'm Brandy. And you're listening to the Chronic Couple Podcast. Today's episode, we have uh, my friend Mike, who recently uh, is looking for a diagnosis and wants to talk to us about that process and uh, his story and questions about um, just as an adult, chronic illness and and autism. So uh, welcome, Mike. How are you? Oh, just fine. And uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. I think that um, this is something that can benefit a lot of people who are in the early stages of trying to seek an autism diagnosis, because um, that's probably the number one question that I get on um, Instagram is, you know, I'm an adult. How do I get an autism diagnosis. So this would be something that's beneficial for everyone to um, to listen to to some questions he may have and his experience and um, and you know draw from that. So yeah, exactly. So and, and I know for just knowing you Mike that you have a very similar story as us as you looked at things from a chronic illness perspective at first and then uh, you're led down a path from there. What, what's your chronic illness story? Uh, if you could summarize that for us. Sure. So I, I will say that my uh, primary care physician is probably really tired of seeing me because I would go in there and he's probably thinking, all right, what's he got now? You know, what, what's he thinking that he has now? That sort of thing. But um, I, I'd actually had a, a history of uh, thinking that I had something wrong with me, which, you know, could be possibly considered hypochondria, but then these symptoms were coming from something. I just was most likely looking in the wrong direction. So what one thing that happened uh, starting a couple of years ago that really I was not able to ignore was I started experiencing uh, dysphagia, which is trouble swallowing. And what would happen is the food would uh, you know, start traveling down the esophagus and then actually get caught at the juncture before it actually reaches the stomach. Um, so, uh, went to my regular doctor. He said, go to the GI doctor. They did an endoscopy. They said, we don't see anything wrong. Um, so that's frustrating because that's not cheap. (laughs) You know, even if you have insurance, you gotta, you gotta pay for that stuff. So, um, and even before that, I mean, they took me to, uh, sent me to a speech therapist and they said, um, oh, you're having trouble swallowing stuff. I said, really? Thank you. I appreciate that. And then, <laughs> didn't uh, know. yeah, exactly. They're like, you have trouble talking when you swallow things that are dry or dense. And then, um, they did some other kind of a swallow function, but everything above the area where there was a problem, cause they have to go through this process where they just rule everything out. Uh, before getting even to the area that the patient is saying is the problem, apparently. Uh, At least that's been my experience. So um, then I had a barium swallow test where they actually look at the function. uh, They watch it go all the way down into the stomach. And then they do it with some kind of a, you know, scan or x-ray. And so, I mean, food was just getting hung up there. And I'll tell you what I was feeling was uh, it, it... the first time that I actually experienced it, I was trying to take some pills and I was at work and it was so bad. It was like I had trouble breathing to the point that I was like, I need to stand up 
and walk out where other people are because I might pass out and I want to make sure that somebody like finds me or sees me or whatever. And I didn't, I didn't pass out, but it was like, you know, the pain was real and this stuff was really getting hung up there. So, um, really haven't found any actual cause, uh, to, to speak of why this, why this is happening, except they're saying the, uh, the muscles right there at that juncture are not functioning properly. They're like really tight. That's basically all they can find out. So, uh, they're trying to refer me to a specialist at UVA currently, and they're recommending surgery. So one, one thing that I've noticed, it actually, the symptoms, uh, greatly improved when I started therapy up again and that I, I did that for a few months and then things were going well and I was like, Hey, I'm good. And then just kind of stopped and it started coming back again, but I didn't put the pieces together immediately. So uh, I actually, I also went to a functional medicine doctor. They look at things other than just medication and surgery. They look at your nutrition, your lifestyle, things like that. And, you know, right. I kind of attributed it to that, that doctor as well, the functional medicine doctor. So, um, in any yeah, event, we've, go we've ahead. experienced, we've experienced, uh, functional medicine doctors as well. And, you know, it's a lot of blood tests and a lot of, they throw a lot at you. And, uh, a lot of people get great information or pieces of the puzzle to help figure things out. It, it really, I mean, even, even functional medicine doctors, like no doctor is perfect. Like you, I, I think there's so much to be said about your own, uh, self work that you've done with, like you were saying, of putting together the therapy, helping this condition. That's, that's I mean, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that isn't really common knowledge from a, uh, from a general public standpoint. Like we don't think about our own mental health care as something that's like vital but it is like for everyone. Oh, definitely. It definitely triggers one of my um, illnesses, which is uh, mast cell activation syndrome. Stress is one of the biggest triggers. I will have a physical reaction to stress. It's like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see it on her face when she gets stressed out. So I turn bright red. So yeah. it's hard to miss. Yeah. <laughs> pretty... People will actually say, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> so the hives will start crawling up my neck. Like it's, yeah. So therapy is, is a big yeah. asset when it comes to managing these conditions. Um, are you at a manageable place now with that? Yeah, it, it's getting better. Um, Really, I, I just recently started the therapy up again, so the uh, swallowing issue would come and go, and it's it's never really been 100%, except when I was really in the swing of doing everything I was supposed to nutrition-wise, lifestyle-wise, and doing therapy and all that. I mean, there was a week where I was like, man, I'm, I'm cured. I don't even need to do this anymore, and then it's, the swallowing issue started creeping back up again, um, mm-hmm. but it, it's another it, – the, the stress was definitely a component – because um, thinking back to 2017, when I start, started first uh, feeling these issues, um, it was shortly before our uh, first child was born. And that was a totally new thing for me. And we're, we're actually, we did a, a midwife and a home birth. And when wow. we were sitting in those um, midwife classes, I started feeling this heartburn that I'd never felt before in my life. 
and then shortly oh, after man. that is when I started getting these, um, you know, the, the swallowing issues. So I would say that it's definitely a, a component there, the stress factor. Man, that's, that's wow. intense, dude. Like, I mean, stress is a killer. It, it really, really is. It really is. And that's something that also unfortunately ties in with autism. It's like we, because our hyper, we are hyper um, sensitive as far as everything, like our central nervous systems, we have a tendency to get more stressed than the average person. Um, and yeah. so um, the way that our brains are structured, we have a lot more neural connections that don't, you know, prune off like everyone else's. And um, it's a strength sometimes. It's, it's awesome for so many things. But one thing that it is not awesome for is the, the anxiety that comes with that. Um, because I feel almost like, uh, with my chronic health conditions, um, having a personality type that's a little more anxious makes those worse. And so, um, it's something that is really tough to keep in check. Um, but the, the cool thing about getting a diagnosis is you'll be able to get certain accommodations that you might not have been able to get before. Um, Matt had mentioned something about, um, you seeking a diagnosis um, and then possibly like some accommodations with your work and the fluorescent lighting. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little more about that? Because people cannot take fluorescent lights for some reason, autistic people. It's just yeah. like, it's like repellent. Yeah. We've, we've got, <laughs> so. we've got fluorescent lights just in our elevator of our, uh, of our place. And just that it will get a headache just from that. And, sometimes just use the stairs to avoid it but it's yeah it's insane how much fluorescent lights can mess up so many different people yeah yeah and that's um just one of one of the many little pieces of the puzzle for me trying to put everything together here as far as you know me possibly um having a um diagnosis uh, you know whether i'm on the spectrum or not there's definitely a lot of pieces here that point to that sort of thing um so the office where I work definitely has a lot of, uh, you know, triggers for me. And it, it's something that other people can look at and say, oh, he's just quirky or a little bit different because he's sitting in his office office with his lights off or he's got um, wireless headphones that he's wearing as he's walking around where, where like nobody else is doing that. And you know, hey, he, he was kind of weird this morning. That was an odd interaction. It's almost like he didn't know how to talk to me in a small talk fashion, you know, just stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Because there, there'd be times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to plan stuff out to where I, I have as few social interactions as possible on this particular day, because I don't, I don't think that I'm going to be able to handle that, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes it's important you, you plan that and it, it, you get forced into situations where it's like you have no choice. Right. Sometimes that's the tough part when you are trying your best to just avoid as much as possible and you're put in a situation where you can't, and then you have to, to mask and pretend like you're okay when on the inside you're screaming and it's, uh, it's really tough. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something that for me, a diagnosis, I think, uh, made me feel a lot better about because now, um, I can voice some of those concerns. I can voice how I feel about, I don't need to speak to anyone today. Please don't take it personally. And people will realize, oh, okay, well, yeah, she's autistic. 
So that's probably why she needs to do that. And they respect it a lot more. Whereas before, when they don't realize you're autistic, they just think you're an asshole. So yeah, <laughs> it's helpful in that respect. That's always been one of, one of the more, uh, you know, the disturbing or upsetting things to me is there have been a, a lot of little things throughout my life and a few big things where I didn't realize what I was doing was not cool or that it would upset someone or offend them. And then their reaction makes it seem like, oh, they definitely think I'm a jerk or maybe I am a jerk. What, why, you know, apparently whatever I did upset them, but there are just so many examples where it was like, man, I, nobody else seems to consistently get those same types of reactions that I get with all these different people. And then they, they're, it's easier for them to kind of compartmentalize and label it as, oh, Mike's a jerk. Let's, let's not talk to him or whatever. But, um, they, they, and I myself didn't realize that all those different interactions p were pointing to something potentially here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it, it gives you a lot of sense of relief knowing that you've found this other piece out about yourself. Cause I, I, I feel like at least for myself, I would constantly beat myself up or loop on something that I did. And it could either be something I did that day or something I did 20 years ago. I mean, it really wouldn't matter to me. It just, you know, what pops up in your head, what happens, you know, how you feel. It just, uh, when it gets to those negative emotions, it sometimes just intensifies and gets way worse than you ever want it to be. And unfortunately that's, uh, something that autism it's common with. Right. My therapist actually said something about this today. She was like people on the spectrum, um, when they have an issue happen, a lot of times it's, it's like, uh, the emotions from that are amplified. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, so it's, it's really tough sometimes for us to, to do things as far as like letting go of things. Um, and, and we tend to, to self blame a lot. It's not like, you know, we're, we're, uh, picking apart other people. We're picking apart ourselves most of the time. Yeah. And, um, that's what a lot of people don't understand. Yeah. And so it's really hard to be happy all the time when you have this constant little voice in your head, you know, telling you negative things about yourself. And, um, it's something that, um, once I sort of had that confirmation, that I was autistic, it made me feel a lot better about that and a lot better about myself. Also finding a community of other autistic adults through social media that helped a lot because I would have so many people I could relate to was like, oh my gosh, they're going through the same thing. And unfortunately, um, not everyone, but a large part of the autism community has um, chronic health conditions as well um, because we are so sensitive to everything. Um, so that's been a great way to connect with people also. And one of the ways that both of us figured out, you know, what was going on with us and, and eventually led to our diagnoses because we noticed like patterns within uh, certain things and certain people. And yeah, she says we, but really <laughs> she noticed the medical patterns and then yeah, it, it really yeah, that, it really started it, off with her right. and then I was, no actually it started off with you face first. Oh like yeah, concrete. yeah that yeah <laughs> that like, thing. I shouldn't laugh about that, but, but yeah. no, it's it's true though. Like that. Um, I, I guess I'll tell the yeah, story. Tell yeah, it. yeah, it, yeah. It's what started the whole cascade of everything. Yeah, for our health, like look, like just like for you, you know, having that issue 
with uh, going through the the class and start having problems swallowing. I uh, it was yeah it was 2015. It was like five years ago now. Me and Brandy were celebrating because I just my job. I was a contractor and I was gonna become a full time employee and passed all the tests and it was a it was a uh, a whole big process and we went and ate a nice restaurant went and saw this free concert ate more food and I probably ate more food than I should have because I was celebrating and um, and you drank which and, never and, really does yeah, well and I'm not a big drinker either so it was very rare for me and then. Um, just in the middle of the concert, I like look at Brandy with this look of panic and was just like, I don't know what's going on with me, but I need a bathroom now. Um, yeah. and, uh, she, uh, helped pull me through a crowd and, well, I was uh, just trying to get him to a bathroom. Like, yeah. He was just, he didn't know if he was going to barf or like, he didn't know what was happening. I, I, I really didn't. He turned it, pale. It was such mm-hmm. a weird feeling. Cause I didn't, I, now that I know the symptoms, I know I was about to faint, but it was just like this weird, sharp shooting, stabbing pain in my stomach. And, um, yeah, she was holding my hand and we were walking on a sidewalk. And from here, I don't really remember the story. Yeah. Well from here, um, I'm like pulling him through this crowd and, we get to the stairs almost out and I feel his hand slip out of my hand. And then when I turned around, it was just basically like he was, he was falling forward, like arms down, like face first and just slammed into the concrete, just like a tree falling. <laughs> and yeah. I thought he was dead. I mean, it was the scariest thing. I just started screaming. And luckily because we were at a concert, there were, there were medics around. And so they came and, um, and helped him immediately. And, and we took him to the doctor and basically yeah. they were just like, yeah, uh, we don't know why you passed out. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, know, and like- it, the funny thing is the, um, waking up spinning out pieces of my teeth looking around and having 10 people around me like just staring at me and i'm like i don't uh, it was such a disorient yeah, he was it was so disorienting it. he didn't know who the president was on the way to the hospital yeah <laughs> he was out of it it was like a, a concussion but they basically just had no answers which scared us to death because his dad has a history of you know, uh, he died, he died of a heart attack. Right. We didn't know what was happening, but it started this whole cascade of research. Um, and then, um, we eventually found out that he had POTS, um, postural orthostatic tachycardia is what that is. And then we found out after a few years later, I had MCAS, mast cell activation disorder. And, um, and then I noticed this pattern that both that people that had either one of these issues also had this thing called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And then that just sort of connected the dots. And then after that, it was like, wait a minute, people that have EDS, a lot of autistic people have EDS. So yeah, it was, it was something that then we put that together and um, realized that that's not spoken about enough. And nobody really talks about that, how it affects the um, autistic community because a lot of us have chronic pain and people don't really know why. And so it can, it can be tied somehow genetically with EDS as one of our comorbid conditions. What, what would you say is your number one reason for um, seeking an autism diagnosis? Oddly enough, it just wound up being 
one of the last things that I wound up researching when I just, I, I was like, okay, what, I mean, it's, have you seen a beautiful mind? You know, he's got like all the things connected up on the wall and he's trying to figure stuff out. Yes. I was like yeah. trying to just draw connections to what I had going on. And a lot of things just, it, it, my, my mind was trying to tell me something when it kept going back to, you remember that time when you did something weird when you were a kid and remember when you did this, remember, kept going through all these different examples and thinking, you know, all these things that really stood out in my head. Uh, my, my mind just kept going back to is all these, um, I guess, I, I don't know if the correct term is like abnormal behaviors compared to other people, but I, I looked through everything to try and explain what was going on with me physically. How do I fix this? You know, went to all those different doctors. I mean, uh, had them run all these different tests. We ruled out autoimmune disorder. We ruled out all these other different types of deficiencies and things like that as well. So, but the more that I started doing different research, the more that little things here and there were po pointing towards also, um, you know, the, there's a scene in people mm -hmm. or, you know, on the spectrum. So it, it just wound up being a collection of things that led me down this road to say like, wow, all these different little pieces throughout my life could the the answer to that could be that I am on the spectrum and I need to look at that uh, to determine potential uh, treatment and lifestyle changes and things like that. I think that's a great, a great reason, because honestly, it's like once you know, then you give yourself the accommodations that you need that you didn't even know you needed. And then that in turn makes your health condition feel better. Yeah. So, well, j just like you said about therapy, uh, helping you more than anything else for all your physical symptoms for everyone that doesn't go and get like a formal diagnosis, it still is valid to do like the, but like the online test for mm -hmm. autism, like you can really use that as a tool to, if you can't afford it or don't have the resources to, to know, you know, with certainty, because like we did the tests online test before we got ours. And uh, I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like, I could have just gone with the online tests and been like, yeah, all right, right. I know. Because we, yeah, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Both of us. It was actually, it said I was, I was more autistic than you. Yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, that's what our, um, our, uh, the person who um, gave us our evaluation also said that. Yeah, <laughs> so. that she was actually more autistic than me. She yeah, won, Matt. Just, she won. I did. I, she did. I did. I, I, <laughs> it's just the women, uh, we, uh, tend to present differently so we hide it better and mm. um and so yeah and it, especially because you know the the things that we're interested in are usually things that women are typically interested in you know it's not like trains or you know some obscure subject um mine was makeup so what teenage girl isn't obsessed with makeup <laughs> i mean you know so it's like the signs sometimes are missed with people and um but yeah, it, it definitely helped. I just wanted to know. One, one thing that I, I'm concerned about uh, for me is, you know, if I'm seeking, let's, you know, let's say like I continue seeking a, a diagnosis for uh, from my own perspective and also from other people's perspective, there's a potential that I, I could so be suffering from confirmation bias because, you know, once you believe one thing is possible and you seek out to, you know, find out if that's correct or if that's the truth then that could influence your your approach so 
what, what I would be concerned about is even if I was um, confirmed by a professional or however to uh, be on the spectrum and need these accommodations, because the majority of people don't understand what's going on and what you're going through, um, they're probably just going to look at me and be like, oh, you're too sensitive or you're too lazy. That's why you're like this. You know, that's why you're um, not able to perform at your top level every day. And, you know, you have your ups and downs and that kind of stuff. So that, that mm-hmm. kind of concerns me personally, how, how it'd be perceived just cause I, I don't think other people would understand. Right. I was so scared of what you just said. I was so scared that I was going to get a diagnosis um, of just that, you know, I was not autistic and it was just like basically poor character or something, you know, <laughs> I mean, or I just need to like try harder because nope, you're not autistic. And, but it was like this feeling, I just knew that I was, but it was like, I still wanted that confirmation. Plus it's just, you know, if you're going to do any sort of advocacy work, it's better to, I guess, have it. Although self diagnosis is completely valid because it isn't accessible sometimes to everyone, a formal diagnosis, but for those of us who are um, are privileged enough to be able to get one. But yeah, I was so scared that they were going to tell me I wasn't autistic. It was like the opposite. Most people would think, you know, you, you want them to say that, but no, I, I wanted her to say I was autistic and I was panicking that she was going to say I wasn't because if, the, if I wasn't, then what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, but it is, it's like this feeling you just, you just kind of know it's like everything makes sense when you start reading about it, when you start talking to other people or watching Ted talks or YouTubes or whatever, it's like of people talking about it. It was like looking at myself. Mm-hmm. I had never felt something so strongly in my life. Like, you know, it's like, you just know. I, yeah. I think also when you have, uh, because it, it is a spectrum and everyone is so unique and different. I think the biggest thing from a perspective of not having diagnosis like you do, Mike, I, I really think you got to look at it from the perspective of just in your own research, because I mean, unfortunately we're in the age of like your doctor might Google this in front of you kind of situation, <laughs> you know, like, um, you, I, most doctors actually, yeah. when you say you're autistic, they'll be like, really? Well, you're, you're, yeah, you're one of the high functioning ones though. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. And the thing is too, it, this is something like, that a lot of people don't understand. And, and especially for yourself, Mike, this is good to know the whole functioning thing of high and low. It's a really all about what that person needs at that moment. What, what are your support needs at that yeah, moment? Function, like, functioning labels are just kind of like arbitrary. Yeah. It's really meant you anything. It's really meant to try and categorize, you know, everyone yeah. in the spectrum when it's like you can't do that. Like depending on what I went through today is going to mean yeah. what I need. Like yesterday I was would oh, yeah. have considered low functioning because I could not function. I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to do anything. I couldn't move. I was going through a lot mentally because of the pain my body was in. So I mean, you know, is that high functioning? No, I mean, it's yeah. not. But then the next day, yeah, maybe I can talk or do things and be a little higher functioning. But it's just like it's it's a little bit more realistic to say support needs rather than high functioning because it, it places you in this category because you don't know my backstory. 
you know, that, that I couldn't go to regular school, that I had huge problems with uh, my mental health, that I've been in like facilities for, you know, teens because I was trying to like kill myself. Like, I mean, does that sound like a high functioning person? Like, no, but you would never know that by looking at me. So it's really dismissive to say, oh, you're one of the high functioning ones though. Yeah. And so you'll get that from doctors. And I mean, a person even told me a story recently about they were talking about um, with their doctor, yeah, I'm autistic. And their first response was, Oh, you, you can never tell you, you would never know, which isn't a compliment by the way. And, um, my friend's son or something is autistic and he's been in therapy and he's almost normal now. Yeah. That's it, 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 like it's people, like, th- people think, it, you know, you, you, you so, do something and you can squeegee out the, the autism. Like we're not like, trying no. to be normal. Like we're different. Yeah. They're, you know, neurotypical, we are neurodiverse and we are not the same thing. And so it doesn't mean we can't all work together, but there's just a lot of misunderstanding between, um, you know, the neurodiverse and the neurotypical community. And so, and it's just one of those things. It's like, if you really identify as neurodiverse, um, then you are, (laughs) you know, it's like self-diagnosis is extremely valid, but at the same time, yeah, it's like uh, very beneficial to get as far as like for your work or accommodations there, because having that on paper is just going to help. Um, if you, if they do say, you know, Hey, you're autistic. How, how would you feel about that? Well, I, I think it would be good just to know where I stand as far as, um, you know, how, how professionals perceive what I have going on mm-hmm. and, since I'm not the first person who's gone through this, there's already kind of a roadmap for things that help uh, people who are on the spectrum in general. So, you know, again, if it, if that does turn out to be the case, then I, I feel like I'd have some better tools at, at hand. You know, it's like you take your car into the shop, they don't know what's wrong. They're not going to start, you know, swinging the, you know, turning the wrench on something that they don't even know if it's going to fix it. So, you know, you do, you do that diagnosis first and then, figure out most likely what's wrong, then you, you can actually, um, work on improving, uh, you know, your, your quality of life and things like that. And, um, what, what you all were just talking about made me think, I, I believe one of the keys is that, you know, you and Matt and myself and many other people, you're not choosing to have more difficulties in your day to day life. But I feel like there are a lot of people out there that think that you, you're, you might be exacerbating your own issues or exaggerating, but I mean, the, the challenges that I have, if I could push a button and make them stop, I would, but we don't, we don't have one of those, unfortunately, you know, we have a whole bunch of different little buttons and levers that we can push to like help with the symptoms. But yeah, it's, it's not something that most people, including ourselves, would be like, yeah, I want today to be really difficult. That'd be great. Right. Yeah. And that's the sad part about living in a, in a world that doesn't understand autism, because I feel like that's part of the reason we have so many difficulties. It's because of the world we live in. It's like uh, it's not built for people like us. And so then we have to adapt and morph ourselves into something we're not to be part of this community when we're the ones constantly adapting and it affects our mental health. And when we're asking another person to adapt for us, it's like, oh, you want special treatment now? I mean, it, you know, it's it's yeah. this different sort of um, dynamic. And, um, you know, if the world was maybe a little bit more friendly to 
people who are um, hypersensitive, you know, I feel like we wouldn't have as many issues as we do. And, um, and yeah, knowing, knowing that helps because, you know, it's like, um, stimming is something that we had never heard of. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, basically like movement to regulate your emotions. And, um, and it's something that, you know, you get that sort of like knocked out of you as a kid because it's like, mm-hmm. stop fidgeting, mm-hmm. you know, stop moving all the time. And, um, and, you know, so, so I stem like on the low, basically where I, you know, move my fingers or I'll be moving my foot where you can't see, you know, and it's like, um, now that I know that I'm autistic, one of the things that I can do to help regulate my emotions is to, to move and, um, let myself fidget. And that's something I, I didn't do before. And, um, and it helps me to feel better. And then there are things you can do to keep from having, you know, a meltdown, um, that's something that I didn't realize I was having meltdowns. I just thought I was an asshole. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just like, but now I realize, wait a minute, that's a, that's a meltdown because I have been so overstimulated by things that my body is now freaking out and I am not the one doing that. That's not my fault. You know, I, I'm, I can't help it. And um, a lot of times I would blame myself, you know, for that. So that's something that that also helps. Like you learn these tips and tricks of how to do things and how to navigate the world once you realize what's actually going on and, and why your brain is doing the things it does. But yeah. Absolutely. And and the thing is, I don't know if you've heard about this before, Micah, the whole concept of spoons in the chronic illness community, you have people called spoonies. or uh, And the reason why that's mentioned is because people would like, chronic fatigue or, or low amounts of energy, you have a limited amount of resources that you can expend for that day. Right. And it's called using up your spoons. And when you're like, you have like 10 spoons, basically, and you've got to allow a lot, which activity this each spoon is going to go to, but you have say like 10 spoons, but you have 20 things you have to do in that day. So certain things are just not going to get a spoon, you know, because, and then when you're out, you're out. There's no more spoons left. Like you got to just shut down. And yeah. And, and the stop. thing, and the thing is with, uh, with autism, it's very similar in that fashion because like, if you get overstimulated, I know for myself, if I get too much bright lights or too much crowds or noises, I, I start to shut down roughly about after four hours, I can, I can muscle through about mm-hmm. four hours. And then from that point, I, I, I have to get away and I, I become miserable and will have physical symptoms like a migraine or any number of things after a while before you would feel bad about that. Oh, it's horribly like I was being antisocial or that people thought I didn't like them or any number of things. Now you know. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, have you talked to anyone in your family or in your life about this? Or is this something that, you know, you don't want to really say anything until you know for sure? Well, it's only recently that I've started considering this, you know, so I I have uh, talked to one member of my family and they, I, I think part of it is they they've known me for so long that they're just Mm -hmm. thinking, well, that's how you, that's how you are. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of deal with it, you know? And I, I I think that things would have been even worse or or other people would have seen the symptoms even more if I hadn't been doing things like masking or strategically planning my day and my exit and all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. 
so uh, yeah, it hasn't really been much of a conversation with you know a lot, a lot of other family members or friends or anything. So, but I do feel fortunate that uh, it, at least enough people still want to be around me to where I feel like I have a good family and you know social structure. So that's yeah. that's good. <laughs> that's important. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was just talking about this the other day. How I don't I have like a lot of acquaintances, but I don't have a lot of like close friends because I prefer not to. And so sometimes uh, I will fill that void a little bit with my family members, you know, because it's like I feel comfortable with them. So they become like, you know, my friends to kind of confide in because, you know, I've known them. I feel comfortable with them. And I just don't like I'll have surface friendships with people. I don't Mm -hmm. really feel comfortable confiding deep information, even if I've known them for years. It's like just I just don't. And so I think it's important to have that you know, support. But yeah, I just was curious because, um, my family, like my mom was shocked. (laughs) My mom was, uh, she worked in special education. So she was kind (laughs) of shocked that she missed it. And, you know, was just like, you're what you're autistic. (laughs) Like, okay. Like, I mean, just kind of taken back by it, you know? And, uh, my dad, I think, you know, the same, they were both just like, they just didn't really understand. Well, for women, it's so, it's so different that like just even society's view of autism Mm -hmm. i I don't even think the the woman definition of it is even listed in in a lot of ways like it's right it's uh the diagnostic criteria is mostly for uh how males present so male children no less so it's it's like you know it's just weird but yeah i just wonder that because like but now it's funny now that they know a lot more about it Mm -hmm. now that they've sort of digested it my mom is like oh yeah you're autistic (laughs) because uh you know looking back it's like putting i did this first and then and now she's done it a little bit you just sort of look back and put together the pieces like oh you did that one thing that was kind of strange oh that's why okay yep. you know it sort of makes makes sense but yeah people people in my family were shocked and then i've gotten a lot of the uh, you don't look autistic i've gotten that a lot which is sort of like well how are autistic people supposed to look you know so get ready for that one yeah that's <laughs> definitely a one um, yeah. yeah, I'd have to stop and think and be like, wait a minute, what, what are you actually thinking? What what should I look like? Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Like you can't see inside my brain. So. That's well, and, and you'll be surprised, Mike, that uh, uh, for the formal diagnosis, like your parents and like people that knew you as a child, that's part of the interview process yeah. because and, and, and actually when we saw our diagnosis is like my mom's interview, there were stories that I was like, Oh, that happened. I did not realize that. Or I didn't realize I did that. Our moms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, uh, the the woman who diagnosed me even said that I masked so well that it was such a part of me that, um, that, uh, without some of the information from my mom that she wouldn't have been able to make an official diagnosis because as a child, I presented classic autism, you know, banging my head against the wall, biting, like uh, emotional dysregulation. I mean, it was just like one thing after another. But as an adult, I mean, I sit quietly and listen and (laughs) respond and talk back and forth. And, you know, but it's like because I'm making myself do that. And that's sort of just how I've learned. But yeah, so they'll they'll talk to um, they want to talk to someone from your childhood that can confirm some of your behaviors as a kid and things that you did. Thinking back. 
um, did you, uh, just thinking back, do you think that you masked differently or at a different level, whether you were with family or with friends or, you know, work or things like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Different masks for oh. different days. Yeah. <laughs> some some people uh, on our Instagram have even commented, I have a mask for every person I know. Like, there is not a, mm-hmm. a single person that sees the same person. The thing that really sucks about that, though, is, is like, it really, uh, it's like it does, it did me, like, a disservice because I would mask, basically, like, I would be, like, whoever I was with. I would mm-hmm. mirror them. So... You know, I would like this topic with this person and then with the next person, I would hate said topic. I mean, I just kept like and then I would have to sort of keep up with who I said what to. And it was exhausting. And it was just like because I was scared to say my true opinion. No, I I don't like that. I disagree with you when you know, and then have someone not like me or something. And so I would end up like taking and taking and taking. And then it would get to this point where the mask would come off and then they would see the real me. And then I would sort of say everything I had been holding back and then ultimately end up like having to end the relationship because it was just too much. And um, it, it was really tough. Just wish I could have had the confidence to be myself more with people. But yeah, I would be like, um, like a perfect angel at school. And then I would come home and the stress from masking would be so great that I would like lash out at my family and have a hard time controlling anything, you know, as far as my emotions. And so, but then the second I would walk outside the door, you know, it would go back on and I would be like a perfect little child that never spoke, you know? And yeah, so, and and then at work, it, it would be something completely different. And then at home, yeah, different friends. I mean, yeah, it was it was bad. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. And the thing is, like, that's so mentally and emotionally taxing that it can really do some huge damage. Like, oh, okay, hold on. Medication Wait. timer. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be right back. Sorry, I have to take medicine every four hours, <laughs> so it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, it, it may I ask what the medication does or what it's for? Oh, of course. Yeah, I take um, chromalin sodium, and that is a mast cell stabilizer. So it keeps me from going into like a anaphylaxis, like chronic allergic reactions, basically. So it kind of calms that down. It also helps with like food allergies yeah. a little and stuff like I have, that. Like really sensitive system to all that stuff, <laughs> and then um, and then I also take hydroxazine, which is something that helps with, um, it's like an antihistamine that helps mast cell issues, but it's also used for anxiety because it helps neuroinflammation. So um, it's actually been known to help a lot of people um, that are autistic. So it was kind of a (laughs) win-win, like taking it for a couple different reasons. But yeah, it it helped a lot. It helped as far as like my anxiety and stuff like that, you know, take like uh, different things, different treatments. Some people, you know, antidepressants, they go that route. Some people can't handle it. Other people, you know, don't feel the need for medication, but some do, a lot do. (laughs) So that will also be something that'll be beneficial, you know, once you know for sure, because that that can change some things as far as that goes as well. I think one of the things that would help the most would, would be people being more patient and understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, why don't you talk about um, when you told your family and um, how they reacted? And um, I feel like they've been mine as well. It's like people, it's like now that they know, I feel like people are more understanding. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it, it does help. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, you need some time away. Like they don't take it personally anymore. No, um, I, I, it's like, it, it kind of explains the behaviors that you know you need as a, as a person. Like I, I know I need alone time sometimes and things like that. And when I, uh, we went to d- dinner with my mom and when, I, when we, when we told her it was really a, um, it was really surprising because she, she knew everything that had gone on with us as far as Brandy's health and chronic illnesses and things like that. But this was just another piece of the puzzle. And I think both of us, we didn't have the typical, like you, you may experience like a, a bit of a mourning um, period when you do get the formal diagnosis or come to the conclusion internally that, hey, you know, I'm, you, you just know for yourself that you're autistic. And we didn't really have that because it's like later in life and being a, almost in our 40s ourselves, it's like, I just. Yeah, we were both scared that we yeah. weren't autistic. <laughs> yeah, because I, 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 I was really concerned, like, what is wrong with me if it's not autism? Like, but then you find out like, you're autistic and then that makes you kind of feel like, wait a minute nothing's wrong with me. Exactly. That's, it's like, I'm, I'm just autistic. I mean, right. it's not like, you know, this, this, uh, thing that is wrong with me, you know, it's that I'm autistic in, in a society that is not built for me and I'm having like reactions to that and it's not my fault. Yeah. And so and I think the biggest point I'm trying to get at knowing it for yourself, it gives you the permission mentally and emotionally to, forgive yourself for that weird conversation or that (laughs) someone waving at you and they were waving at someone else or, you know, any of those things. Like you've got so many, I I know for myself, there's, I I can't, I can't even count how many awkward or weird situations happened in my life where I wasn't, where I wasn't properly handling a situation. And now I know, um, looking back at everything that it was autism, like, that's what your family basically like i think they were yeah like, yeah uh, they were like oh like you know yeah it was like oh that explains a they, lot they like, weren't in disbelief or anything no 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 one like, was wow. like you sure like no one's no one was saying that that's for sure his brother used to do this thing um tell him about the gold star system oh man so i i i really my whole life work really hard to try to make people laugh and feel better and things like that so i think i'm funny at times um and my family would get the shotgun approach of everything I would throw at them. And not all of it was funny at all. Um, so I get a, they started implementing a gold star system. So, uh, because when my jokes would not hit, it would be like a bronze or that didn't even register as a star. And then but when they hit, man, when they hit, hit, when they hit, it's like gold, platinum, like, I mean, people are inventing higher tiers, you know, things like that. But, it's it's funny. It's really funny how it all works. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, so those gold and platinum ones really get a good punch then, because if you're consistently a gold, you know, then it would just be like, ah, you know, that's typical. But man, once those golds and platinums hit, it's like, oh man, that's good. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, I, the, exactly. The, so, but, but yeah, I remember when we were talking, you know, about him being autistic and then looking back, you know, I think I had mentioned it. I was like, yeah, so that's probably why you had to do a gold star system. And it was like, 
yes mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that is totally because yeah sometimes i mean even to this day like matt will say something he thinks is funny and most of the time it is funny if he would explain it more it's like he he tells a joke but he doesn't quite say it you know the whole joke so it's like wait i don't understand what you're saying but then when he doesn't try to be funny he is like the funniest person ever (laughs) there's a rubik's cube inside my head and it just stuff doesn't get out right (laughs) oh man it's like he won't even be trying and he will say something that will have you like crying it's so funny (laughs) but um but yeah so it's like that um lack sort of of like social awareness that made a lot more sense i think for for everyone once this came out you know absolutely and for me i'll just tell you with my family it made me feel better about being such a bitch because (laughs) I was so mean sometimes, you know, and I just felt really bad about that, you know, later on in my older years, like, God, I was an asshole to my mom. I, you know, looking back, it was like, wait a minute. No, I was, I was struggling. You know, I, I wasn't just being mean to be mean. I was really having a hard time and it made me feel better about that. And it made me like sort of feel less embarrassed about some of the things I did. And knowing now that they knew I'm autistic, it made me feel better about just the whole thing. It's like, oh, you know, now they they realize too. And hopefully, you know, it will explain some things. Yeah. But yeah. So what you said basically about people being more understanding, I mean, they are and, and it helps. Yeah. So I think my point was just knowing it for yourself, though, is going to be the biggest tool even regardless of how people react, because you're always going to get varying reactions from everyone. But knowing it internally is so huge, dude. Um, Do you think that your family is going to be shocked? I don't think so. No, probably not. Just I I did a lot of weird things said and did a lot of weird things growing up. And it was probably just (laughs) like, oh, and that's just Mike. But the, it's it wasn't like normal weird stuff it was like weird weird stuff to where somebody it should have been a red flag to someone to be like hey maybe we should just get them checked out a little bit but that never happened it was just like mm-hmm. yeah, let's continue to let him be weird or we don't want to deal with it or they just didn't recognize what was going on they were just like he's weird and we're gonna deal with it uh, i think that that was pretty much the approach that they took so yeah Oh, I completely get that. Yep. Yeah. And then at some point it's just like, and especially like back in the day, you know, uh, it wasn't as talked about as it is now, you know, so, and it wasn't as easily diagnosed. Um, I think now all three of us, we probably, someone, you know, may have caught it a little bit um, more so if we were children, if we were kids in this time frame. Um, oh, absolutely. Well, because like the, the famous guy with Atwood, what's the Tony Atwood? Yeah, Tony Atwood. He wrote a book on autism, and he didn't realize until his son was thirty-five. Mind you, he'd been practicing for almost like forty or something, something like, like that. that. He didn't realize his son was autistic until his son was in his like mid thirties and already gone through like drug addictions and all mm-hmm. kinds of issues and stuff. And yeah. it's like, like he missed it. He so missed he it. He wrote the book. Right. I mean, you know, that should so. show you how much of a spectrum and how easily undetectable this can be. So it's like that kind of forgiveness of like 
you, you know, family or other people not knowing or noticing is, is huge. It just, it gives a mental relief. It might sound kind of negative, but uh, I imagine, uh, especially back in the day, the way that a lot of kids may have gotten diagnosed was when their behavior became a problem for their parents or teachers. And then they were like, oh, we need to fix this kind of like, um, you know, ADD issue or something like that. It rather than this kid seems like they're struggling. Let's see how we can help them. And I think that that's how a lot of kids wind up getting medicated too, whether it actually fixes their issue or not, which most cases it doesn't. They just, right. you know, probably needed some kind of therapy or even patience and understanding. But, you know, that's, that's the thing is it's it, other people may not be interested in help helping you out or even helping a kid out unless it benefits them in some way. So if they can just kind of keep doing their own thing or ignore it or just say, well, that's how that person is, then that's probably what they're going to do. But it seems like people are a little more in tune with that these days to where they're recognizing things. And there's also a lot more information available at our fingertips today right. to where people can say this, my, my kid's acting weird. And then they Google it, like whatever they did, uh, yeah. I, yeah. you know, that, I think yeah. I think Google has oh, helped the uh, autism community more than anything, really. If there had been Google back in the day when I was a kid, my mom would have figured that out, like, in a day. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She, like, researches things. And yeah. It, you have such a great point there. Yeah. It's like back in the day, we were just, you know, weren't understood. And now that we're adults, getting these, getting an autism diagnosis as an adult is just um, unheard of for some people. You know? Mm. They just put it together with like children, but it's like all of these autistic children that have been around have now grown up and we're adults and old people. And, you know, we've <laughs> always been around. We've just been like considered strange or weird or institutionalized or put, you know, incorrect labels on us of mental illness or things that just make us feel worse about ourselves and completely misunderstood. And now thankfully, you know, we're working really hard to change the stigma there and get the word out, you know? And I think it's really cool that you're seeking an autism diagnosis because that takes a lot of bravery and a lot of guts, you know, to do, I think, to, to ask those hard questions about yourself, like, why am I the way that I am? And then go and seek those answers. I think it's, it's very commendable. Absolutely. And do you feel like it's something that you have always, like, now that you're pondering this, is this something that you feel like you've always had kind of feeling or what, what, what's your earliest memory? Would you say like that makes you resonate with autism? Well, I, I actually, I started writing something uh, a while back, uh, just uh, something personal reflecting on my life. And one of the main themes in it, the, the statement is, I always felt like everyone everyone else went to a meeting on how to be a person and I just missed it. Oh, oh that's that's oh. so spot on, dude. I oh, man. Say, you're autistic. I'll go ahead and tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was that was like a long time ago. And yeah. there, there are all sorts of different goofy uh, memories that, that I can recall. And then, you know, some that were, you know, fairly serious and tragic, too, depending on, you know, what what had happened. But we, we were talking about how our parents may have missed that. And, you know, this kind of ties into what we were talking about on a certain level. I, I have a theory that my dad was actually kind of trying to give me a break or some leeway to explain my behavior, just saying, well, he went through some tragedy. 
uh, because when I was eight, uh, my mom actually passed away. She uh, died from cancer. And, so you know, sorry. my yeah. um, and I have an older sister. She was 13 at the time I was eight. He, he may have been like, well, he's grieving or he's mm-hmm. going through some stuff. And then that could have led to him just being like, oh, let's give him a break. But then, then there, there's that nature versus nurture argument where chances are I was already going to not be neurotypical. I was going to be neurodiverse. And then on top of that, you take somebody who overprocesses stuff and has a lot of uh, neurological issues and then have a traumatic event like that um, and then not have a like solid understanding support structure afterwards, which is really the key. You know, if, if you had um, somebody in that situation have a traumatic event and you had a good support system that knew what was going on and how to help that child, that would right. be very different. But that that was lacking for me. So it was like I just never understood how to deal with stress. And I think my mind and body was like, oh, we're supposed to be stressed 24 seven and expect the worst possible thing to happen at any given time and not know how to deal with it. So, (laughs) yeah, that fight or flight thing, it just it stays on. And Mm -hmm. so the the other thing was kind of odd. I had a few realizations uh, in recent history for me, one of which being I was pretty much addicted to energy drinks. And the thing was, I, my, my body and my mind was probably trying to get back to that super stress state without anything stressful happening because it got so in tune with being stressed all the time. It was like, we're not stressed right now. Let's crack open a monster. Sorry if you're sponsored by monster this week, but (laughs) (laughs) that makes so much sense. You become addicted to adrenaline. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all of those chemicals, it's like an addiction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like I I found after my diagnosis, I, I was addicted to like stress in, in various ways as well. Like the, the stress that was happening, it, it, uh, I've, I've had to since learn how to just mentally handle my work stress differently. Nothing work could do about it since I work from home and the environment's all my, within my control. It was just really the mental aspect of like, oh yeah, I need to think about this differently and just telling myself to do that and every day just a little bit better and it helps you know just thinking about it slightly different yeah but that's that's so um what you were talking about though my therapist actually when we started talking about autism she was sort of like how did i miss this because i had a really rough childhood as far as um i was i was bullied i was made fun of a lot like early childhood and then the masking of trying to be like this, you know, cool teenager, it just started taking a toll on me. And so I also had had some experiences with, uh, in my twenties with like some unhealthy relationships, which is also something that a lot of autistic people can find themselves in, like kind of in narcissistic relationships with other people because we're too trusting and we sort of sometimes don't see red flags others would see. And so anyway, i had had a lot of like trauma and she basically said that she had missed autism because she thought it was from my trauma. Mm. You know, at some point when she said basically like a, a neurotypical person at some point would have been able to process that trauma and let it go. But the fact that I couldn't was another signal or um, that, that I was on the spectrum because everything was just amplified. So you take a person on the spectrum who amplifies emotions and can't, you know, control 
their thoughts sometimes and then you expose them to trauma and it's just like it's debilitating so yeah so that's really that's really unfortunate you know and but i could see how yeah people do that they think you know it's just your trauma and and or some sort of mental illness instead of what it actually is so you know so i think that was something that got missed like when i was a teenager also um people just kept putting mental illness labels on me and so that's another way that that autism was missed because I, you know, was told I was bipolar. <laughs> so, um, but it's, it's not the same. It's, 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 you know, it, it can overlap, but it's not the same. So yeah, it's crazy how sometimes, uh, it, it just takes so long as an adult. It's like, if you weren't diagnosed as a child, getting it as an adult, you're usually going to hit some point where you have like a nervous breakdown before you will then start seeking that diagnosis. It's like mm-hmm. you hit this wall. Oh yeah. Well, I've actually had, um, two panic attacks and I'd never had anything like that before, but, uh, two in my thirties. And I think if, if nothing else that shows right there, a person who never really learned how to deal with stress properly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had my, uh, one and only panic attack about a year before my diagnosis as well. And it, it was the craziest thing. Like, so Oh my gosh. It's, it's so horrible. It's yeah, it's a sign. I I have actually, uh, I have like a panic disorder. So I've had panic attacks since I was a kid. And so I would have a panic attack every day before school and throw up. And then I would have panic attacks. Like, I mean, to the point where it was just like debilitating and, uh, well, you even wake up with nightmares and have them. I'll have a panic attack to this day. Like, I mean, I used to be a professional singer and I would have a panic attack on the day of a show and have to like calm myself down. And it's just like, it was so tough because I wouldn't realize I'd be like, why am I doing this? You know, like what is happening to me? And I had this short period of time in my twenties where if I left my house, I would have a panic attack. So I became like agoraphobic Mm -hmm. and afraid to leave. And I would go to work, force myself to be there, shove antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds down my throat to get there just to be able to deal with being at work. And um, then the thought of having a panic attack and being in a situation where I didn't want to have one would make me have one. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just, it's torture. I mean, I deal with it a lot better now, now that I know, but it's like, now that I know it's like, wait a minute, those panic attacks were over sensory meltdowns. You know, I mean, some there is a difference between a panic attack and a meltdown, but um, a lot of them were were meltdowns, <laughs> the ones that made you feel like you were dying and wanted to go to the hospital. Um, and that's, that's an autistic thing, <laughs> you know? So knowing that and how to avoid those, that's a big one. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's really inspiring that you're able to get up in front of people and perform like that, you know, given all, all of the stress and all the anxiety that comes along with that. Uh, so how do you, how do you get through that and how do you get yourself up there? Thanks. Um, so Matt can tell you, um, I just am really stubborn and I'm just like, you know what anxiety, you can go fuck yourself because (laughs) I want to sing and you're not going to stop me. And so I get up there and I have an empty cup so that if I have a panic attack on stage, I can have somewhere to throw up. And, um, and that's just what happens. And sometimes I'll, I'll usually always have one right before, won't I? Like, and usually, but yeah, but it's better on certain days. Like it got better when I got in the swing of it and I was having like shows every weekend. Um, but now it's really like, because 
the chronic illnesses that she has, the it, we have to be care- more careful. So the pushing through yeah. that she was able to do in the past, it's now uh, it, it's now a lot diff- a lot more different. It, like she has to be more careful. Yeah, I can't really push through like yeah. I did before, and it's not because of um, the anxiety. It's because of the the Ehlers Danlos syndrome, like the pain. It's a uh, it's just too much to push through. Um, but before, uh, the oversensory part of performing was a lot because it would take me days to recover from one show and people would be, people in my band would be like the next day, like, Oh, I'm out, you know, doing lawn work and all this stuff. And they were older than me. And it would just be like, how I mean, <laughs> I'm in my thirties and I can't even move the next day. I mean, it was just like, I paid a really high price for it, but it was tough. Yeah, I just remember the first show, the first time I, I actually went on stage and was in a band, full band behind me. Um, I had so many panic attacks that day um, that it was just, it was torture. And I just remember thinking to myself, is this really worth it? But then I go on stage and it's so much fun and I love it so much that I can usually just like enjoy it and take it out of my mind and then just be in the moment. And, um, and then once it's over, then the crash happens. And so, but now it's gotten to the point where my health has gotten to the point where I can't actually do live shows anymore. So as far as like the, um, the, the pain part with, with EDS and, um, I tried, I tried to be in a band and then, um, when we first moved here and ended up having to quit because I just couldn't handle the demands. And then a few months ago, I got another offer to be in a band and I had not learned my lesson because I tried it again and it was just too much and it caused me to go into a pain flare. And I ultimately had to, to leave the band just because I couldn't, I couldn't be dependable. And that's, my health wasn't dependable. And so um, I, I told Matt that it was just so, so tough because I can push through anything. Like I can literally have a panic attack on stage and like push through, turn around, puke and finish a song. And like, I've seen her do it. Yeah. And (laughs) I can't push through this. And so it's just really, really, really tough to kind of accept that. I'm trying to just channel all of that creative energy into something else like this podcast and um, our advocacy work for chronic illness and autism. And I'm going to sing more online and um, and then post videos on my Instagram. So the chronic couple is the Instagram <laughs> uh, that, that I run. And um, if anybody wants to check that out, but yeah. And so I'm just kind of transitioning to make it work for me. I think that, I don't know, it's like, um, it's like a weight lifted almost in a way that I'll still get to do what I love, but I won't have to deal with the sensory issues of the crowd and the panic attacks. So I think this is going to be a lot better situation for me because it's like, I love to sing and I loved it so much that I was willing to put up with all this other stuff. But at this point now, I won't have to put up with all of that. And I can I can still sing in another medium. So I'm going to try to make it work for me. But yeah, it certainly wasn't easy. <laughs> and I think that um, if I wasn't so stubborn, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it. <laughs> there, Yeah, it, it was it was tough pushing through that. It's, oh, it's, I hope that you're, you're able to continue singing, whether it's online or however you do it. Because, I mean, it sounds like it's something you enjoy. Thanks. It really is. And that's something also that, you know, if, uh, if music is your 
special interest as an autistic person, you can really, really excel because autistic people, we have certain gifts that others don't, uh, and it helps musically. So that's kind of cool as far as like memorization and pitch and, um, and musicality and, and processing speeds and things like that. A lot of times in my practices, uh, it would take other people a while to, to get something when I could get it the first time. And so, it was it was cool because with uh, with music, I feel like autism was like a superpower. <laughs> it's definitely something that helped. But then at the same time, it's like the anxiety was something that did not help. But then it makes you wonder, you know, if I wasn't autistic, I would still probably be anxious that, you know, it's just sort of like give and take, you know, it's like certain things it, it helps with. But then other things, it kind of hurts. But I just wonder if I would be that way, even if I wasn't autistic anyway, you know. So <laughs> gets a little circle logic yeah. there real quick, I think. Exactly. It's like these are thoughts, I think, <laughs> not to mention, you know. Well, um, I, I'm curious about it. We talked about stemming earlier, uh, which is uh, like fidgeting is a form of stemming, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is, is that actually a good thing or a bad thing? Or I mean, it like, what's, a- what's the thinking on that? So stim, a great question. So stimming is a great thing mm-hmm. and it's actually all about what works for you. And there's, um, there's actually some stimming that most people don't realize. Like, uh, I didn't realize I did this, but I ball my fists up, um, particularly my right fist more than anything. And when I, when I ball up my fist, that's actually a form of stim. I'm actually feeling the pressure inside of my hand and that mm-hmm. helps me to process and regulate things. So when I'm doing that, I'm actually like doing the same thing as when Brandy's fidgeting with her fingers and, and other things like that. Which I used to make myself stop doing, but now mm-hmm. I don't. It's like you want to stem. You want to regulate yourself by movement. Um, a lot of people will, um, these are some brave folks, but they'll go on Instagram and they do this thing called stem dancing. And they'll just like, you know, start dancing around and uh, just moving their bodies in all kinds of different ways. And it's something that can regulate whatever mood you're having that you can't like get out of. And I used to like shake my foot all the time and people would say like, you need to stop shaking your foot. And I would try to make myself stop. But it's like now no one says that. And I let my foot shake. (laughs) So, But like, like I know when I look back in my childhood and stuff like that, like sometimes a stim can even be like, I would, I would get in my car as a teenager and I would actually like just scream my lungs out in the car until I was like tired and that, or just drive or anything else. That's all of those things are a stim and it's video games, video games games is a big one, phone games, all of those, like anything that relaxes you that's repetitive is a stim and and basically stimming is all about just that nervous energy that that it doesn't stop kind of feeling that is what stimming is help helping you to process that those blocked thoughts and feelings stimming is helping you to get that out in a physical way when you can't verbally express it and sometimes it's not even visible physically you could even just have like I said, the, the whole fist thing where it's like, you know, no one sees me balling up my fist necessarily, yeah. but that's a stem. Yeah, and yeah. it is important. Yep. yep. 
I got into video games in a big way growing up. And there, there are so many things that people could be like, oh, that's just being a kid or that's just being a guy or whatever. But I mean, I got into video games. I, I was at the point where I had played through the original Resident Evil so much. I was able to walk my friends uh, through like over the phone through the entire game without looking. What? You know, uh, like nice. just the whole game. I was like, okay, when you come around this corner, there's going to be uh, this monster jumps out. You want to have your shotgun ready, that kind of stuff. When you get to this area, you need to combine these chemicals together. To you know, it was just that's nuts. impressive. And that's huge. It was it was fun for me. I was like, hey, I'm helping them with my talent. You know, but that and. Uh, movies and music, I, I would just watch the same things over and over again. And I don't remember thinking that that was an odd thing when I was growing up, but I do remember in retrospect that I'm pretty sure there was a um, there was an album because I, I had a little record player. I'm pretty sure that there was an album that I played so much over and over that they like hit it or destroyed it because it just oh, wow. like it disappeared at some point. And I mean, really, I don't blame them. I, I could, I could understand that, but like, give me headphones or something. You know? <laughs> I did the same thing. That's totally an autistic thing. Listening to the same thing over and over. It's like comfort. You know, what's happening. It's, it's the same, you know, the feeling you're going to get, it's not new. It's like uh, that's to a total stem doing something like repetitive over and over. And um, it's funny what you say about like being able to tell your friends, you know, where to go in the video game. Another thing that is uh, is something that a lot of autistic people do, myself especially, I think in pictures. So I can see it in my head perfectly and be able to explain what I see. So I don't know if, if you do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I've always had the really good spatial reasoning skills. And mm -hmm. one of the things, what, one of the games I like to play is basically um, more engineering centric form of Minecraft. And it's called Scrap Mechanic. And I'll go in there and just play around with stuff. And it's cool because they have different elements that you can control, like logic gates and timers and things. I mean, you can basically build a small computer in the game if you want to. Wow. And sometimes, <laughs> I mean, when I'm going to sleep, I'll actually sit there and figure out how I'm going to make something and figure out the logic for it and everything. And that's actually like comforting to me. I'm like, oh, I want to work on this. And the mechanics are going to work like this and everything. Whereas, yeah. you know, I, I don't think a lot of people would, would choose to think about that when they're going to sleep. But it's um, fun for no. me. That sounds like what's called a special interest. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like you, you hyper focus on something that interests you and then you will become the master. It's like, it's like, and then it's all you think about. It's all you want to think about. It's all you want to talk about. And it's it, just like, yeah, it's, it's fun. Well, and, and that kind of relaxing feeling or like you're drifting off to sleep thinking about it. And, and that is you're stimming to relax yourself to be able to go to sleep. Oh, because our minds do not yeah. stop mm -hmm. at night. They race. Yeah. So that, that is a form of stimming. Absolutely. Like that, everything you just described. And yeah. it's, it's so important. It is is a, an um, emotional and mental health tool. Now, the thing is, I know for me anyways, with video games, I can get stuck in them for, oh, for days. days, unfortunately. <laughs> and he doesn't have an off. No, like, no. It's know? like video games on. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and I will, I will play and, and just, it'll be a whole thing. And I think really when I, when I think about it, it's like, 
I, I need to have stims that work with in my adult life, you know, like, cause like video stims you can control. Yes. That stims you can control. You can, mul- you can, you can do your stim and what you need to do as an adult. And it's easy to get addicted to things or have like this addictive personality type when you don't necessarily have like enough dopamine and serotonin. So it's like these, these, um, things that, that give you that dopamine hit, you know, you can kind of become addicted to them in an unhealthy way. So you have to like really work at being able to do that, um, which is hard because a lot of times we'll have issues with um, with executive functioning mm-hmm. and <clears throat> that can come along with it. And um, that's something that I, I also found interesting how sometimes it would take me days to work up the energy or the willpower to do something, a chore that, that took five minutes. I mean, I just didn't understand that part of myself. Um, but then if I wanted to do it, I could hyper-focus and do it all day. No breaks, no eating, no sleep. And it's like, you know, it just didn't make any sense. Um, looking back, do you see things in your childhood that you could look back now and be like, oh, that was my special interest back then? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I've always liked doing creative things and building stuff. And it's probably no surprise to Matt because we, we play some games online together. I, um, I've always liked creating things for other people to play in. So when I was cool. when I was younger, I would put together um, Lego, uh, basically Lego dungeons and come up with my own set of rules for a, a role playing experience for my friends to play. And I don't know how much they liked it. They kept coming over. So I guess they liked it. But <laughs> I mean, it was fun for me. I would get I would get real excited about that kind of stuff because I was like, oh, man. But the, I think one of the challenges was because I tended to think differently from all of them whenever it came to things like puzzles. I would come up with a puzzle that made total sense to me. And then they would spend like an hour trying to figure something out. And they're like, I, I give up. Seriously, what are we supposed to do here? And I'm like, oh, you just need to do this. And they're like, what? So it, it was very difficult for me to think about it from, you know, the the other person's perspective as far as logic and reasoning, because. I mean, some people, they could figure it out, but then also you want stuff like that to be fun. You don't want it to feel like work necessarily. So, uh, but that was one of the things that I was really into. So I, and I still kind of do that today in that game scrap mechanic. I I built uh, several escape rooms that they actually go through a 3d environment to try and figure out how to, how to get out of there. And some are more complicated than others. And what was cool is a couple of uh, YouTube channels picked up on it and they, uh, they, they ran through it. And, you know, some of them, they were like, Oh, I can figure this out. You know, this is pretty, this isn't that hard. And some people, they, they got pretty frustrated with it. So I don't take as much joy in people getting frustrated with those things that I come up (laughs) with. It's much more enjoyable for me when I see that they're, they get some kind of satisfaction out of it. But that's, that's something that I've always been interested in from a young age. That's so cool. That's also, that sounds a lot like an autistic trait as far as thinking outside the box. It's like, we have very original thought, you know, it's like, um, that's, that's a strong suit for sure. Um, 
but yeah, what, I mean, can people find this that you're talking about? Like, you know, can you tell them where they can find that thing? Yeah. I, I haven't been that active lately, but the YouTube channel name, it's uh, Metellus Simber, which it's, it's kind of a long name. It's a M-E-T-E-L-L-U-S-C-I-M-B-E-R. It was a character from uh, Julius Caesar, I believe. It's been my online cool. handle for a long time, but yeah, I got some of those videos out there and um, it, it was funny. One of them, one of those uh, escape rooms that was picked up by uh, a German YouTuber that, that was pretty big. And I can't understand a single word that they're saying, but it's so cool to like still see the reactions as they're solving the puzzles and everything, you know, so still, yeah. still very a fun experience. So That's so cool. Oh my gosh. Could you, or were you one of those people you could do like a Rubik's cube? I don't think I was ever really that good at that though. Was the thing? It was more like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what so, a screwdriver's for, right? Um. <laughs> I will admit I, that's what I did. I'll admit that's what I did. I actually peeled the stickers <laughs> off because I was like, I'm tired of doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. My grandpa could do it. Maybe he was. Maybe he's autistic. I don't know. <laughs> it's like looking back though. Yeah, it's like a. You also put together sort of family members. You're like. Oh, they're so autistic, <laughs> you know, I bet I got it from that person. A lot of it, you know, it's, it's genetic. So you can, it doesn't mean your parents are also going to be autistic, but sometimes you can definitely see, um, what was it? Your, your therapist said you can see spectrum qualities yeah, <laughs> in your spectrum. family members. <laughs> yeah. So it's just kind of like, Oh wow. That's interesting. Um, and once you know, like the range of behaviors and everything like that, you'll see, you'll be able to pick it up on with different people. And that doesn't necessarily mean they are, but it just kind of gives you the awareness that, Hey, maybe they are. And I, I understand them. And that I think has been very powerful to just have that awareness and think about others in that way of like, Hey, maybe the problem they're having isn't actually something they even realize they're having a problem with. I feel like it's made me a kinder person just to everyone in general, because it's like, I don't know what's going on with you. You might be having some problem I have no clue about. So let me just be a little nicer. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It, it helps people be nicer to you and helps you also be nicer to people. Yeah. That's like a good way of putting it. I think that's for the people listening, like, uh, like maybe if you could explain like your, your process, like, uh, with, you know, your next steps of how you're going to get your diagnosis. Well, and so as far as continuing to seek a diagnosis, one thing uh, I was curious about is if, um, you, you and Matt would have some kind of suggestions because one thing that I've found, I, I'm not trying to put anybody down in the medical community. I'm just, my experience has been, once I started putting these pieces together and I reached out to see who can actually help with this, you know, went on to my insurance's website, uh, sorted by my area and checked to see who actually would have some experience with uh, people who were on the spectrum. And it, anybody who I actually was able to speak with, they were not interested in either diagnosing or treating adults. Ugh. It just seemed like everything was geared towards children and it's I, I felt stupid for asking because they're like oh you know we just we we deal with children and i'm like oh okay well that kind of made me i don't know to well i'm repeating myself but it made me feel stupid so and just yeah, for asking okay you shouldn't yeah, yeah exactly you should not and the crazy part is even where we got our um diagnosis she even said to us 
I don't work with adults a lot. <laughs> she was like, I do and I will, but I don't. And you could tell that even some of the tests we were, you know, being given, which took, you know, like three days or four days actually spread out. They, they almost felt like they were tests for children mm. with blocks and puzzles and <laughs> flashcards. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, we're, give, we're getting the same stuff that like, you know, a little 10 year old would get. But it's all about finding someone that is willing to, um, yeah, to diagnose an adult. And it sucks that it's that hard. I mean, yeah. Well, I was surprised. I was surprised that there wasn't any direction or concern because if you get into that type of business where you're, you know, psychologist or behaviorist or whatever you're doing, you think you might give someone a lead if they seem like they're seeking a diagnosis or just whatever, some kind of help instead of just being like, oh, sorry, we don't do that. Or, you know, I had one person Mm -hmm. say there are sound therapy clips on YouTube. You should check that out. And, you know, that that was it. And it's like, well, see, I don't even know exactly what I'm dealing with here. That's what I'm uh, step one. I'm trying to see what's wrong with my car, basically, before we run out to try and fix it to, you know, echo that same metaphor. But um So really at this point, I don't have any leads. So I was just kind of curious if that's something that you all might have. That says so much about society right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And well, I I did send you the, the lady that we went to, she has, uh, she had a a person that they accept insurance and seem to fit for you. Did you get that email for me because I'll I can resend that to you if you don't yes yes I will uh definitely check that out for sure so that that would probably be the best start is to I I think so I mean it's unfortunate since you you know I wish you could find someone closer to you you know but um but yeah I think that because we live in Asheville North Carolina which is it's just sort of a more progressive kind of town that we were really lucky that we were able to find someone 15 minutes from us that was willing to do it. Um, But from what I hear, everyone else is not that lucky. And um, my therapist told me that, that uh, a lot of times people, as far as like, like their insurance companies, they have to, to travel, go out of state just to be diagnosed and it can take days, you know, so you're out of pocket that money. And so, yeah, it's just a big deal. It's not as easy for an adult. And it's really sad that, that like you said, it's like, you feel stupid for even asking because that's how I felt too, you know, calling these places and they're just like, uh, no, you know, it's like, um, but luckily, you know what, two, three phone calls and and then we found someone. Yeah. So it's just like, you have to just increase your search radius. Unfortunately, we are really lucky that, you know, we have access to, to people here that are, that are um, like a great medical community and a lot of open-minded people. And so, but yeah, if you can't find someone near you, then come see us down here because yeah, yeah there's, there's a place in Asheville that, that will diagnose adults for anybody that can't find anyone come to Asheville. Yep. <laughs> and so, and uh, we can give you that information. If you guys, anybody wants to email us, we can email you back that and give that information to where we got our diagnosis. But yeah, I, I think that's just so unfortunate that, that you've had such a hard time, you know, it's like, it shouldn't be that hard. And at least like you said, the person should at least give you some sort of direction of where to go and, they don't even know, (laughs) you know, it's like so much more education needs to be put out there about this. So, but yeah, hopefully you'll be able to, to do that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, 
does that pretty much answer your question at least for you starting off like that part oh yeah 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 okay. i mean and if for some reason i have any other issues with that i know who to talk to and also yeah. if if i find myself down in your area you know maybe we can get together and trade weird stories sometime yes. oh absolutely. absolutely oh absolutely that would be fun that'd be great there's there's something too about like um when autistic people get together yeah. <laughs> it's like this just i don't know this uh comfortable feeling of just like being understood by another person you know uh something that you can just tell i don't know it's like you'll be able to see it too once you get your diagnosis like you then almost can tell just by meeting someone if they're also on the spectrum because you start to see it in yourself you have this like moment of looking back like oh my gosh like all these moments you know where you put it together and then you'll be able to like recognize that in other people also that's your special interest <laughs> it's like and to to see that level it's like um because a lot of times when you start passionately talking about something to a person who doesn't understand their eyes just glaze over and mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, you're being so annoying. This is all you talk about. Can you please talk about something else? It's like, <laughs> you don't have to feel that way with other autistic people because we're just like, Oh, we get that. Yep. You know? So that's kind of cool too. But well, I, I just want to throw out there that, um, you know, it don't feel obligated to have, um, small talk with me. In fact, you can completely skip that at any point if you want to. If you launch directly into something, uh, because I understand I'm not going to be like, oh, I guess we're just starting with talking then. Because, you know, there's always that people really love to peel that onion for conversation. Yes. Typically, they're like, let's get the skin off. We'll talk about the weather. Now, I understand. And, you know, most people I interact with on a daily basis, they require that peeling of the layers. But for me, I'm like, we can just go straight into the core. It doesn't bother me a single bit. I actually kind of prefer it. But if somebody does go, you know, if they start with the skin, you know, they start at that outer layer, it doesn't bother me. So I just want to let you all know that if you just launch into conversation with me, I'm not going to think of another thing about it. Oh, perfect. Perfect. That's such an autistic right. thing, too. Oh, man. It's like we go deep. Yeah, we yeah. Go, shit. go right into it. So <laughs> let's talk about like society and like the system, oh, aliens. Yeah, like, no, no. From now on, Mike, whenever I, whenever I talk to you, I'm going to be like, dude, aliens, what's up? Like, just like, that's going to be my start with you from now on. I think. Or whatever you know. thing you're into obsessively at the moment, you know? Right. Because mm -hmm. my interests change like monthly sometimes. You know? Daily sometimes. <laughs> New thing, but you know? It's so. such a habit to have that small talk. And then yeah. once, you know, Matt w was telling me about being on the spectrum and then I'm thinking about, you know, what, what I have going on as well. It's just like it's this weird thing where we, we both kind of know that we don't need the small talk, but society does. And then yeah. we, you know, we're still kind of like, well, here's the polite thing we're used to doing. So we're going to do it. So, you know, again, yeah. I could take it or leave it. It's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Yep. No. Yeah, that's awesome. Talk. Oh my gosh! Like we live in a like a condo building, and like when we have to be in the elevator and do that whole dance of the small talk, it's like ripping out your soul. It really is. <laughs> Our dog is a good distraction yeah. for everyone. So do we really even have to speak? Can we just be silent? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, how's the weather? Like, no. I mean, I've got a list. But, uh, while I've been seeking the. Um, 
diagnosis, you know, the potential for a diagnosis. I've got this whole list of stuff throughout my history that, you know, I I won't (laughs) read it here today, but there's just so many things, like so many weird things that in retrospect, I'm like, this makes sense. It all fits together. But I was just feeling like a weird person feeling a lot of shame for it. Um, all these different things because it it wasn't normal. And then people's reactions were, you should feel ashamed for what you did because it it wasn't normal. And I guess most neurotypical people would not have done those things. But so, you know, really it's, those are things that we can share whenever we can get together (laughs) if we feel like it. Yeah, totally. That's that's so true. And it's like this knowing just makes you feel so much better about it. It's like, I did some crazy things too, you know? I mean, like this was, I'll just share one of mine. Like my mom even told me like when I was a kid, I would get so mad. I would just start beating my head against the wall. Like Mm. what kid does that? (laughs) A psycho kid? Like that's what I used to think about myself. But it was like, it was me trying to emotionally regulate. So I know that now. So now I'm not embarrassed about it anymore. And so I hope that you definitely find all the answers that you're looking for. But, you know, for our professional opinion, you're autistic. Yeah. <laughs> well, Absolutely. I've got I've got a quick funny one that I can share. And you could uh, at a previous job. For some reason, I had a whole bu- a whole bunch of those little uh, clementine oranges. I, I don't even remember why I had them, but I'm just sitting at work and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and brighten up people's day. And I, I just, I took a Sharpie and I drew a uh, kind of like a cartoon face, like a really crude cartoon face on each one. But some of them, they were like, it, it almost looked like they were screaming or something like, ah, you know, it just really was not, it, it was probably pretty unsettling because people, they'd come back to their desk and they just see this like screaming orange sitting on their desk. And I said that I like put one down at each person's place. And I mean, if nobody contacted uh, HR after that, I would be kind of surprised. I think they probably should have at that point. So. See, I would have loved that. I would have been like, who left this cool ass orange? Right. <laughs> but it wasn't like something that I did normally and not even the type of thing that I did normally. It was just my brain was like, hey, you know, it'd be funny. Let's do this. And then people were probably kind of scared because I didn't think like, hey, maybe this is weird, you know? Oh my gosh. That reminds oh, me. What man. did you do when you were leaving? You like plastered this picture of yourself on your door or something? Oh at yeah. At your job. Yeah. You, you did something I, like this. I, I I I put I put a picture of me on my last day, printed it on the works color printer and did a whole my whole office door in just tons of letter sized paper. I probably wasted a whole color toner <laughs> worth of ink. <laughs> to say bye and it was just a picture of me waving in shorts <laughs> flip-flops and a t-shirt all non-work appropriate clothing bye, or was it just you waving just me waving just- no. yeah just me waving that was it that was it that was that was it his, i saw a picture of this yeah his entire yeah. door was just pictures of him waving that was it that was all i was doing and- I was like what were you doing Okay. I was saying bye. That was my way of saying bye. I, I, I thought that was cool. Outside of the box thinking. Yep, you know, right that there. That is cool. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. It was fun. Oh my gosh. Well, Mike, it was really great having you on our podcast. And I thank you so much for sharing your stories and a little bit about your journey and excited for you to get your formal diagnosis. And yeah. we're definitely here to help, not just you, but anyone that wants to give us a listen or follow us on Instagram and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks.